What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Off the Dome Radio. We have another fun one for you, as always. And today we sit down with Art Locke, and he is an investor, a CPA, and founder of Locke Advisory Services, which is a firm dedicated to wealth management, financial planning, and tax strategy. Now, Art received a Bachelor of Science and Business Admin from American University with a double major in accounting and computer systems. And before he opened his own firm, he served in multiple executive positions for five publicly traded companies, including being the CFO for three of those five. So he is obviously no slouch. He's on top of his game, really knows what he's doing and what he's talking about, uh, leading to such a good informational episode. In 2006, Art was a top five finalist for the 2006 Greater Washington Technology Council Public Company CFO of the Year. It's so important that you can't say that five times fast. This man is on fire. He also served in an advisory capacity to several different private companies and their owners as well. So he has seen a few things because he's done a few things. He started his career working for two of the largest CPA firms, and he has continued his success under his own shop now. And in the interview, Art describes the process of leaving corporate life to start his own business, something Tim and I really related heavily to, and he provided a lot of meaningful financial advice for professionals, especially young professionals, since that seems to be a growing demographic of his. To learn more about Art and his services, visit Locke, L-O-C-K-E, advisoryservices.com. Also check him out. He's got a sweet handle, at Finance Golfer. So to kick off the show, Art goes into his background, his motivation for leaving the corporate world, and the process of kind of just getting his business started and formed. Then he, he highlights some of the key lessons learned from serving in those executive roles for those five different companies and how those were really nice stepping stones into forming his own uh, advisory service. And then he gives us some good financial advice. You know, we ask him what are some good do's and don'ts, especially when we're fresh out of college, you know. We, we learn this corporate finance in college if you had finance courses, but we don't learn personal finances. So art really uh, breaks down some good to-dos, especially when you're young and start making that money. So Tim, I know you are good friends with, with Art's son, so you kind of helped set this one up. I really enjoyed it. Uh, what do you think about our podcast with Art today? Yeah, what an amazing episode. I mean, Art is a... He's a golfer and he's an investing guy, so we uh, we hit it off Two right away. Two peas in a pod, baby. Of course, yeah. So sh- and shout out to his son, Brandon, for kind of connecting us. Uh, Art is based out of uh, Virginia, so we appreciate him jumping on uh, for this remote interview. So, yeah, we, uh, we obviously had to ask a lot of questions that not only people in our age group and our, our demographic are wondering, but kind of just general like finance questions for him about like some advice on stuff and, and how he grew his business. And so we want to kind of relate the entrepreneurial aspect and kind of the financial literacy, financial education part of it too. So we asked his opinion on cryptocurrency. We asked about his, uh, his future outlook on like the US dollar, where he thinks that's going to go. So I thought that was an interesting po- portion of the interview. Um, and then he also talks like – I want to ask about like just the impact of the internet and like YouTube and like the fact that we have information at our fingertips nowadays and kind of how he like and how that has impacted like the level of knowledge that he sees with his clients and kind of how he's kind of adjusts his business strategy with all that going on and kind of how he fits into that picture. So I thought that was interesting as well. And then he also talks about like money's impact on like relationships. Um, And we we ask about like the types of people he works with and what he notices and kind of how financial health 
breeds good relationships. And I thought that was interesting too. And then um, we also asked him like, how do you pick a quality financial advisor for those people out there that are looking for someone like that? Um, he kind of defines what a healthy relationship between a financial advisor looks like and, and different stuff like that, which was cool. And then lastly, had to ask my question, what life lessons <laughs> he's learned from golf. Cause I know I've learned a lot. So I want to hear what he said there. Um, and then obviously we asked about how he wants to be remembered. So we hit a lot of uh, unique lot of topics on, on this episode, both from an entrepreneurial aspect, but also just, just finance and um, investing and just all that good stuff. I think you guys are going to love it, get a lot of value from it. Without further ado, episode 173, Art Lock. So Art, maybe to kick things off, um, for people listening that might not know what you do, how we kind of got here, maybe give a little background of yourself, who you are, what you're doing now. And uh, yeah, we'll kind of dive into the nitty gritty along the way. Sure. Well, uh, I'm a longtime financial guy, graduated from Mer American University with a double major in accounting and computer systems, got my CPA, went into what was then, uh, you know, uh, big eight public accounting, which is now big four public accounting you know, KPMG, PwC, uh, et cetera. And mostly worked for public companies throughout my career. Um, I uh, worked my way up through the accounting side and ultimately I was uh, an executive in five publicly traded companies ranging from national home builder to uh, technology. Um, and had the opportunity to be the CFO of uh, three public companies. And the last one of which uh, I left in 2012 and uh, was a little burned out, was wanted to spend a little time with my boys. I have two boys um, before they went to college and took a few years off to kind of figure out what I wanted to do and enjoy life with them. I had the opportunity to do it, so why not? And then, uh, you know, once they once they went off to college, um, you know, I basically settled in on um, using my financial skills. You know, that's that's where I'd spent my life. That's where I felt my uh, expertise was. Um, I've always enjoyed investing. I've been a long, long time investor. I mean, even, you know, starting out my career with small amounts and then growing that to, uh, you know, pretty good sized amounts relative to our family. And, uh, you know, started my business from there. That's awesome. <clears throat> yep. Yeah, sounds like you've really, you found a way to manage your time well, uh, which is something Tim and I talk about, that work-life balance, right? So uh, when did you, I mean, I know you said you wanted to spend time with your kids uh, when they left. How soon after they left, or maybe even back up before then, did you have the idea for having your own uh, company, before they had left or was it when they were gone where it's like, ah, I need something to do. I'll start my own thing. Or was, were the wheels turning for a while? Yeah, no, the wheels were definitely turning for a while for sure. Um, you know, I had, I had really worked a lot while, you know, throughout my career. I mean, I invested a lot in, you know, getting to know the businesses, the people honing my skills, you know, I'm a strong believer in a lifetime of learning. So, uh, um, you know, I always wanted to, you know, I was always intrigued by running my own business. And, uh, you know, when I was, you know, I got, got the opportunity to watch my sons play basketball and golf and things like that and spend some time with them. 
And, uh, you know, during that time, there was always an undercurrent of, uh, you know, what am I going to do next? I want to enjoy it. I want to be able to help out people, um, use my skills, uh, maybe build a business that I could uh, pass on, you know, eventually to my boys or the employees or something like that. Um, you know, and then, uh, you know, um, our family needed it for investment management planning and tax. And so, you know, I'd started, you know, I decided to start my uh, registered investment advisory firm, which uh, is also like an up and coming thing in the industry. You know, um, a lot of folks in the industry customarily made their monies in the past through commission-based services, selling stocks or insurance or annuities and things like that. And um, I really wanted to work for people and, and help them represent them, be a fiduciary rather than be a, being a commissioned sales guy. And so, uh, um, you know, uh, definitely spent a lot of time thinking about it and thinking about exactly uh, what kind of business I wanted to have and what would, you know, really represent me the best. So, and, you know, I can be successful at. Mm -hmm. Sure. And from the moment you like decided to start the business and you had the idea and everything, was the process pretty smooth of getting it, getting it up and running? Like, do you maybe want to describe that process of what it was like to get it, get it formed and any like challenges you, uh, you had to overcome? No, that's a great question because, um, you know, a lot of, uh, new businesses, um, you know, struggle over that quite frankly. And the good news about it is being, you know, being a CPA and, uh, um, you know, formally being in a public company and, dealing in the tax world and regulatory world and all that. Um, I was okay with it, but, um, you know, it was kind of, kind of interesting. Uh, you know, um, I actually called up the state regulator, um, who over, you know, the regulators who oversee investment advisors. And I, and I just said, Hey, I'm a CPA and I want to manage money for other people, um, do taxes and all that. Can I do that? And he said, uh, he said, well, you have to do a few things first. Um, and so he basically laid out these things that I had to do. You know, I had to pass the uh, Series 65 Investment Advisor Law Exam. I had to form my own investment, um, you know, my registered investment advisory firm. I formed an LLC, sole member LLC. And then I had to uh, do a bunch of filings through uh, FINRA. Um, you know, to satisfy the FINRA requirements, which really um, in turn go through to the state of Virginia. Um, then the state of Virginia reviewed everything, had a question or two um, and said, uh, hey, you're good, good to go. And then um, I also passed a couple other exams. I passed the uh, PFS exam, which is an exam that um, is, is only available to CPAs. It's personal, um, you know, financial services uh, exam. And then um, I also passed the, uh, the CFP exam, which um, a lot of investment uh, professionals and, and advisors have. But um, so basically I, you know, it, it was, it wasn't easy and it was kind of uh, interesting, not, not, taking exams for a long, long time. And then, uh, 
have to go in and take a whole bunch of exams and, you know, and, you know, it's always in the back of your mind. Oh my God, what if I fail and I don't pass, you know, <laughs> but, uh, I got through it and kicked it off and, uh, it was all good. So. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. That's a lot of tests for me, man. I, I wasn't a good test taker in school. Like I would get everything but a test done, done right. And now I do these continued ed things. I got to, I'm the last one done all this, all this business. It's funny. My dad, he's a CPA, and he said they referred to that as the can't pass again test. Exactly. Yeah. He's can't like, you study again. for it once? That's, yeah. <laughs> that's, what my, uh, that's what my dad always told me growing up. He's like, yeah, take the CPA exam. You pass it once, and you can't pass it again. So, <laughs> so you mentioned yeah, yes, some time in corporate, and I definitely want to spend a lot of time on your practice, but what were some things... Um, uh, in that time that maybe you didn't realize would be such a good uh, skill to have or a good stepping stone into launching your own business. Like, oh, wow, you know, when I did X, Y, Z at this company, that really makes a difference with what I'm doing now. Anything like that yeah. really jump out? Yeah, I'd say, um, it's, I mean, it's, it's probably a culmination of a lot of things, honestly. Um, just interacting with a whole bunch of uh, smart people that had you know, a lot of good ideas and creative and different skills and, um, um, you know, seeing all that. And then, um, you know, just um, enjoying, I've, you know, I always, always enjoyed working with my team and my staff. It was always, uh, you know, great. Um, I felt like I always had great people working for me who were an inspiration and, um I always, you know, that, that was a big part of it. And then, you know, frankly, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a little, I'm a little nerdy about number crunching and financial analysis and research and all that. Um, and so, you know, a lot of those skills were developed during my career and, um, you know, I had the benefit of working with a lot of smart people. So I think all of that really contributed to, uh, you know, helping me, helping me be successful at what I do. So sure. Yeah, definitely. And when you started your business, did you, uh, I mean, did you have a team set in place? Like, did you get off the ground and running, like operating on your own? How did that look like kind of forming your team? And I guess how big is your team today versus what it was when you started? No, I mean, I, I'm, I'm pretty much a sole proprietor right now. Cause the good thing okay. about it is, is, um, um, you know, you can, um, you know, you can, you can really hone and develop your, your business um, when you're starting out as, as an advisor, because pretty much, uh, pretty much every, everything, you know, honestly, is just, it's, it's almost just like intellectual property, right? It's what mm -hmm. you know, it's, um, you know, the investment research skills, the process skills, understanding fundamentals, technicals, um, tax planning, all that. And so, you know, the most important thing, frankly, was just, you know, when I first started, it was like, how do you get your first customer? You know, you're starting out and you can't say, oh, well, I, you know, I have such and such number of customers and blah, blah, blah. Um, so fortunately, uh, just through my, my network, um, you know, work network on LinkedIn and golf was an important network people that I worked with in the past, um, friends, family, people who knew me, um, you know, folks, um, I would put folks in into two camps, really. Um, 
you know, one, they, they didn't have an investment advisor and they really thought they needed one. Um, so they came and talked to me, they knew me, they trusted me, they knew my background and skills and all that. And then the other camp was, you know, just folks who had an investment advisor and um, they just weren't happy for whatever reason, you know, wasn't, you know, they didn't talk to him much or, you know, didn't click or they weren't happy or whatever. Uh, um, and just through that, you know, um, you know, the first several people trusted in me and the business gets going and then um, it's easier to talk about and um, um, then referrals start, um, you know, referrals are, that's pretty much the way that I've grown my business. I, I had um, experimented a little bit with Google AdWords and whatnot, but, you know, when people, people want some, someone to invest their money, do their taxes, handle all the personal information, have this personal discussions, all that, you know, they really want to talk to someone that they know and trust. They don't want to Google someone and say, you know, hey, do you do this? It, it's, you know, the first thing people do is they ask someone else. So right. um, my business has pretty much grown literally 100% through, you know, referrals and networking. So, mm -hmm. And are most of your clients, are they like individuals, couples, combination, like families, like, or is it kind of a mixture of everything? It's a mixture of everything. Um I have some, uh, I have some individuals, um, probably, probably most are, um, you know, couples. Um, a lot of them have small businesses and real estate, you know, plus capital gains and whatnot. So, um, you know, their situation's fairly complicated, plus their tax, tax returns are, you know, fairly complicated. And then, um, um, one thing that I, the one interesting area in my business that, has grown a little faster and bigger than I anticipated. Not, not that it's, it's, it's big, obviously, but, um, is, um, uh, young professionals. Um, uh, a lot of the, a lot of the couples and parents and whatnot, um, really wish that they had helped. They had helped much earlier in their life because they really felt like they could have built a much bigger nest egg and they really, they really want their children to be financially independent you know, and um, be able to live their own life and make their own choices and, and all that. And so um, I've been referred to a lot of, um, you know, young professionals, and I, I even have like a separate, um, you know, fee schedule as well that I've developed. And, um, um, you know, that's been interesting, too. So a lot of families, a lot of families, multi-generational things, um, um, you know, probably my oldest client is in their 70s. My youngest client is probably, um, depends on, you know, I mean, I mentor some folks as well. I mean, I mean, I mentor folks in their late teens, probably youngest technical client is probably 21, mm -hmm. um, you know, so yeah, okay. pretty wide, pretty wide range. Okay. What, a, I mean, what advice would you give to someone who's just graduating college, who maybe they just started a job and they have a, I mean, maybe they have a 401k option at their firm, but like, what if they're interested in like investing, like beyond that? Like, do you have any advice for anybody that's, that's coming out of college like that in that, in that setting, who's interested in investing? Yeah. You know, um, <clears throat> um, I generally like the conversation that I generally have with, um, um, you know, most of my clients is, is uh, we, we walk through what I, what I like to call, 
an investment and wealth building hierarchy. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, the number one thing that everyone should have is an emergency fund. You know, I, sometimes I talk to people about that and they're, you know, they kind of, they kind of gloss over, but it's really, it's really important. You know, if you, uh, if you lose your job or you have to take care of um, an elderly parent and you don't have a couple of months of income, it's really good to have an emergency fund to fall back on. You got to have that. Um, and it also actually helps you invest a little bit more aggressively in the market as well. Mm-hmm. Um, because of, you know, a lot of times when the market goes down, people lose their job. When you lose your job, people then go back and um, look to the market for liquidity to pay bills right when the market's down and you don't want to do that. So an emergency fund can help with that. Then the second thing is maximizing 401k. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, typical person in 2021 can set aside 19500 which most people don't. Um, and then after that, there's what's called a high deductible health plan, health savings account, HDHP, HSA. Save in that. It's, it's, it's frankly another way to save for retirement, triple tax free, and um, also uh, put away money for, for health care needs. Um, and then once you have all that covered, I would say, you know, then you can look into taxable investments. And generally speaking, you know, I recommend clients um, invest in the market just because there's many, many different kinds of, uh, you know, companies. Um, the stock market is highly liquid. And um, if you if you have a big gain, you want to sell and get out, you can do that. Mm-hmm. If you want to stay in, you can do that. Um, so there's a lot of diversity, diversity that can be achieved plus some liquidity. Um, and then I just caution folks about investing in private companies because I know um, I know uh, a lot of folks like to help out their friends, which is great. They like to help out their family, but it's really important to go in there, um, you know, with eyes wide open. Um, you know, private investments are they're illiquid. Um, they tie up your money a lot. Often, unfortunately, they they don't work. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. Um, so you really really have to be careful. Um, you know, I, I talk to folks about, you know, think of an, an angel investor, for example, angel investors know they have to invest across um, a pretty wide array of companies um, just to protect themselves because they know the likelihood of picking out, you know, the one Google out of the millions and millions <coughs> of opportunities is pretty slim. But, mm-hmm. you know, if you invest in 10 or 20 um, you know, hopefully one or two of them will be a success. A couple of them will probably go bankrupt. A um, couple more will probably go sideways and not be what you thought. Um, so, um, you know, definitely want to be careful on the on the private investing side. But, you know, in general, that's that's what I'm talking to clients about in terms of uh, excess cash flow and investing and, uh, you know, outside of 401k and whatnot. It's really, you know, you got to kind of look at the, the full circle. Okay. Yeah. Those are good tips. Cause like Tim and I have talked, college doesn't teach you this stuff. They'll go to right. corporate finance, right. Covered calls and puts and all this stuff. And it's like, man, 99% of the <clears throat> people in those classrooms aren't going to do that. Right. Uh, so I like, we think stuff like this is very important. What are some other I guess, quick and easy saving tips. Say someone comes out of college, they're making 40 grand a year. Um, how much 
in a perfect scenario should they save per month out of that? Well, um, I don't. I know expenses so will I, vary, what, but yeah, no, that's good. So I would say, um, you know, generally I'm encouraging, uh, you know, young professionals to set aside five percent in four hundred one k and try to get. Um, try to get with a company that, that matches something. Cause you know, obviously, uh, you know, if, if, uh, if you set aside 5% and the company matches two and a half percent, that's a 50% return right there. And you haven't even done anything. Um, and then the other thing is, um, you know, when you're young in your career, your tax rate is probably as low as, uh, it's ever going to be in your life. You know, you're just starting out tax rates low. Um, so it's a great time to uh, put your money away in a Roth, you know, mm -hmm. go ahead and pay the tax at today's <clears throat> low tax rates um, and set us set aside and hopefully you'll have a, you know, a long successful career, you'll make a lot of money, um, re retire financially, um, you know, well and independent and build that Roth and, you know, you'll either be able to take it out tax free or if you don't need it, you can pass it on to the next uh, generation tax-free, but, you know, I would say, you know, I've done a lot of project, a lot of projections with young folks and, um, you know, if you can just, if you do 5% when you're just starting out in your whole life, um, you're going to do really, really well um, and invest it wisely. Don't be, you know, you can invest it in growth stocks and blend and, um, you know, if you want value and things like that, um, just don't be, you know, just don't be irresponsible. Don't, don't try to get rich quick. Just keep, <laughs> keep plugging away. You know, like you say, um, monthly, keep plugging away and um, keep, keep, keep investing it and, um, you know, get rich slowly and become financially independent. It's, it's, it's actually not as hard as people think. And the only other thing I'd say just real quick is just, just, um, you know, avoid any kind of debt that's not associated with an asset, um, you know, like credit card debt, you go out to a bar, you buy stereos, you buy clothes, this or that or whatever. I mean, that just, that kills people. And the good news is most of the young people that um, I work with are incredibly um, um, astute about that. You know, they don't, they don't run up their credit cards. They're not irresponsible. They're, they're actually uh, very responsible and it's great. And they're looking to buy assets, you know, like either buy um, stocks and investments and things like that, or buy your first house, um, you know. Um, so stay away from debt unless it's like, um, you know, a mortgage on a house or something mm -hmm. like that. So mm -hmm. cool. And since we're on the investment topic, I don't know if Tim was going to ask this. I might have robbed him. But what are your thoughts investing into cryptos, cryptocurrencies? <laughs> You, you get, you get, um, you're young. Well, I get, all right, next subject. <laughs> no, I mean, that is, uh, you know, crypto is just such a tough thing to be frank with you. Um, I realize, uh, I realize, you know, you can't go an hour or two in a day without hearing about it from somewhere somehow. Right. Yeah, right, um, right. And, um, but, um, I'll just, I'll give you a couple of my views and thoughts. Um, I can tell you right now, like I've like for the last two years, probably at least. Um, I know crypto has been a lot, around a lot longer than that, but at least for two years, I've I've reached out to clients, you know, on a quarterly basis, and um, I actually don't have that many that 
actually want to invest in it. They're interested in it. They, they want to learn about it. They follow it, but they're not, they're, most of them aren't ready to put their toe in the water, but just to give you some views. So I'm more, I, when I, when I invest, um, I have, you know, I'm looking at fundamentals, which is financials, right? It's, you know, um, revenue and profits and uh, PE ratio, peg ratio, things like that, that I can value a company on. And then when I'm, and then once I, you know, have a handful of companies that I like the fundamentals, I'll go to um, technical aspects, which are like, um, you know, uh, the 50, 100, 200 day moving averages, um, trend lines, MACD, um, um, Bollinger Bands, RSI, you know, to make um, buy and sell decisions after I get comfortable with the fundamentals. So when I come from that world and I move to cryptocurrency, I'm like, you know, where's my customers? Where's my business? Yeah, where's there's no financial customer? statements. Where's my revenue? Yeah. Where's my profits? You know, where's my tech? You know, it's just, it's, 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 it's very, very hard. Um, so um, I jokingly say it's the next greater fool's investment. And I, and I do mean jokingly because there are a lot of brilliant people investing in it. And um, there's no joke about the, uh, you know, the kinds of investors that are interested in it and, and frankly, have made a lot of money on it. Um, but um, so, and I also think it's, I think there's a lot of risk. I, um, you know, people talk about a, uh, you know, uh, you know, a, uh, you know, um, you know, like it's some kind of, uh, um, um, hedge and other things like that, or it's a store of value. And, you know, it's, it's, it's really too volatile for that. And it can go up and down. I mean, you just seen in the month of December, you know, it can go from, you know, the low to mid 50, talking about Bitcoin now, mm -hmm. low to mid 50s all the way down to the 40s and back up and it jumps around and trades 24 hours a day and on the weekends and um, you know it's uh, it's crazy and it's 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 tough so um, and you know there's other risks too like you don't you know who knows if you know place you know huge economies like China want to make their own or or if certain economies want to outlaw it or um, it's also got tax problems, since it's not a currency, you know, you can buy and sell things with the US dollar and not generate gains on the dollar um, itself. But when you when you use cryptocurrency to buy something, it generates a tax transaction. So, you know, um, that kind of creates problem in a lot of, and that, you know, like for folks who spend a lot of Bitcoin, every time they, they spend their Bitcoin, they're creating a tax transaction and a lot of them don't even realize that probably. Um, but, uh, it's tough. So generally speaking, um, you know, there's obviously a lot of interest. I kind of, since there's no fundamentals for me, I think the only way you can really look at it is, is technically, you know, um, buy it on dips and things like that. And I generally tell my clients don't put a whole lot into it, you know, maybe put a couple of percent into it, um, two to 3%, be ready for a wild ride. Um, and, <laughs> you know, be ready to uh, lose it all if something unforeseen happens, or maybe, maybe you make a lot of money, um, right. you know, who knows? So it's definitely, 
definitely definitely interesting and exciting there's no doubt about that so yeah for sure mm -hmm. for sure because tim and i we're we're into the cryptos we we like investing into certain ones and bitcoin ethereum uh going off that then what's uh what's kind of your lens looking at the dollar over the next few years five years you know where do you kind of see things going i know we're seeing crazy prices inflation etc what are your thoughts on the current state of the market and what's to come well, as we all know, it's it's impossible to predict the future, right? I mean, every day goes by and you're just shocked at, you know, the latest thing that's happened. But, um, you know, it's interesting, um, you know, since, since, since my last CFO gig, um, you know, the dollar has actually strengthened against the euro by probably 25 to 30%. And so, you know, just based on that experience, um, I wouldn't, I don't see how anyone could say that the dollar is getting ready to crash or weaken or anything like that. I mean, it could, it could, um, but certainly hasn't happened since, um, you know, I, I, my last CFO position and, um, um, you know, uh, the truth is the U S has been printing a lot of money. We've been running massive deficits. Um, you know, we're, what, $30 trillion in, in debt now. I mean, it's just, it's just unfathomable. So, but that's happened over the last many years. And um, it's not like this is new. I mean, we've been doing this. It's not new. Um, you know, could it be that at some point in time, um, things start to really collapse? Yes. But I think the other, you know, and you talk about inflation, obviously we have, uh, inflation now and you talk about you know our fed has been calling it transitory throughout the year and everyone else in the market has been saying no it's not transitory it's going to be around for a while and obviously they were right and the fed was wrong and i think the fed probably has some catch-up to do but um i think um you know when you're talking about currency it's always relative to other countries it's not the u.s in a vacuum and i think all the you know a lot of the other countries are going through the same thing that we are. They're experiencing inflation and they're having to print money and issue debt. Um, so it's a struggle for everyone. So I think, I think a lot of the, the economies and countries are kind of in parity. And to the extent they're in parity, it's kind of, or close to parity um, anyway, as, as, as far as what's going on. You know, it, it's, it's hard to see the US dollar collapsing in that environment because it would have to collapse in an environment where our economy is doing horrible and inflation is horrible and relative to the rest of the world that would be doing well, right? That's the only way I think our currency could, uh, you know, could collapse and certainly don't see anyone who believes that. Um, and um, who knows about the infl inflation? I'm, I'm hopeful because um, I, think, um, I think our supply chain is actually incredibly talented there's many, many, many aspects to it. Um, there's many, many people in that business. There's many companies. There's a ton of um, logistics technology, um, not only in the U.S. but around the world. Um, so hopefully, uh, hopefully the supply chain um, comes back together, um, and it can meet the the surging de demand of people just wanting to get out and do things again. You know, just. Mm -hmm take a vacation, buy stuff, um, go out to dinner, do fun things. Um, and hopefully that'll, 
that'll come back around. The one, one thing, um, interesting thing I'd say is I think when people think that inflation um, um, is going to end, I, I think sometimes they think that that means it's going to go, prices will go back to, uh, you know, where they were. But after a bout of inflation, in order for, you know, prices to go back to where they were, that would have to be deflation, right? right. You can't, you can't go up to a certain point and then go back without deflation. So I'm, I'm certainly not in the camp that I think prices are going to return. I think, for example, inflation is, you know, like from now until next summer, if inflation slows down to a normal rate and thereafter, I think it'll be inflation at a certain rate. I don't think it's going to go back. So I think anyone who's gotten job increases, paid more for goods and services, um, I think those those prices are going to stay high. They're not going to, they're not going to, you know, reflate. So more, or, you know, decrease. So we'll see. Um, I'm not, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. Um, you know, we, the U S and the world has been through horrible things from world war one, world war two, nuclear bombs, presidents being shot, um, you know, cold wars, um, COVID COVID two now with Omicron. So we've been through a lot. Um, so hopefully we'll get through this. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's good analysis. I, I appreciate your insight on that. I know people who listen to this will probably be wondering the same, like, all right, what's the state of the actual dollar bill? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's a good question. Mm-hmm. Not, uh, I'm not personally, I'm not fearful of it right, uh, right now. I, I am obviously concerned about, you know, the massive amount of debt in the U S and the deficits are running and spending money. And I know, I know a lot of people say, well, how can you be concerned about that and not be concerned about the U.S. dollar? And I would just say, um, you know, trying to pre- pre- predict exactly when that will happen is extremely difficult. And like I said, you have to predict it at a time when the U.S. goes down the tubes and the rest of the world is fine. And that's 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 a tough scenario to see. But um, I get it. It's there's definitely some concern. It's tough. Yeah. Cool. Uh, I had a question about <clears throat> just the, the impact of the internet and the availability of information in terms of like your client knowledge. So I guess what I'm trying to ask is like from like throughout your career, have you seen like a level of like pre-existing knowledge with the people you work with? Like, cause I feel like now, like we have information at, at our fingertips about stocks, like investing, we have YouTube, you have millions of people that have their channels that, that teach investing. Like, do you see a difference in like people's knowledge now who you work with and has, has that adapted the way you've done things in your business? Well, um, so, um, <clears throat> there's gotta be more knowledge out there, right? I mean, people mm-hmm. there, there's definitely, uh, like you say, um, you know, in the past people would have to read a book from Warren Buffett or something, you know, mm-hmm. and then try to apply that somehow. But now there's just many, 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 you know, countless hours of stuff out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, um, and it's good. It's a good thing. Um, it's not always good. You know, for example, um, some of it can be biased. They can be trying to sell something that they're into. Um, they could be trying to talk negative about something because they have a short interest. Um, they could be not, not very 
intelligent on a topic and, and talking about stuff that, you know, isn't accurate. Um, so while there's a lot of information out there, there's also a lot of misinformation. There's also a lot of bad information. And probably a concern I always have is um, if someone who, who is looking to learn, will they be, will they be able to differentiate between, between that? And I'm, hopefully they will. Um, I certainly hope so. Cause I, you know, want people to do well. Mm-hmm. And frankly, the smarter the people are, the better, better it is for me. Cause that way we can talk about things and, mm-hmm. and it's more understandable. Um, but, uh, so I certainly, I certainly don't fear it in my business. Um, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think, I think in general, what it comes down to is, um, and I think this is really important for people is that, you know, if, if you have a lot of things that you're into, um, it's really hard to be an expert at all these different things. You know, like for example, um, you know, if you, if you're trying to be the best technologist, you know, trying to take, um, you know, zoom, for example, to the next level of security or something like that. Um, it's incredibly difficult to do that. I mean, it's really complicated. You really have to, you know, learn and research and work with other people and work with other technologies. And um, the same goes, the same is true for everything. If you're selling something, if you're, um, you know, doing accounting and finance, um, um, it's all very difficult. And, um, you know, if you want to do a good job, investing and planning and taxes and all that um you really need to do it all the time because it's it's complicated it's not it's not like it's not like you can just watch a youtube video and then um you know go out and manage your money it's tough and so most of my clients are you know frankly really smart they're really good at what they do um they have families um they want to have fun they want to travel they want to do things and um they want someone to help them financially um, who eats, sleeps, and breathes it, and hopefully is an expert like, mm-hmm. like they are and what they do. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, um, I think all of the information out there is great. Um, I think it's great that people try to consume it. Um, the only thing I would say is just, just caution people on not believing everything you see in here. And then, and then just, you know, have respect for people's profession, you know, Mm -hmm. like, I don't, if I have a legal problem, I'm not going to try to solve it myself, even though (laughs) my CPA required me to pass a section on law. Um, um, I'm going to call my lawyer, you know, Mm -hmm. because he, that's what he does. So Mm -hmm. it's all good. Yeah. Is there anything that you consume or like, is there anything that you read consistently or any like outlets that you pay attention to or how do you, I guess, keep, keep yourself educated in terms of what's going on around you? So as a CPA, I'm required to do 120 hours of uh, uh, continuing profession education every three years. I have to do at least 20 hours a year, but 120 okay. every three years. So it averages about 40 hours. And then for my CFP, you know, I think I have to do something like um, 15 hours a year or something like that. And then I have ethics for, for the C, CFP and then I have ethics for my CPA as well. Um, so, you know, and frankly, it's great. I love it because, um, you know, things are always changing. 
Um, you know, in the last couple of years, we've had massive tax law changes that affects investments. We've had massive innovation in, um, you know, technology and companies, which affects, affects um, you know, investments that you make and, um, you know, growth companies and, and companies that are being killed by growth companies. Um, so it's a lot to stay on top of and you got to just keep, keep learning and learning and learning. So, you know, I consume a lot, a lot of educational materials. Um, um, there's a, there's a guy, Michael Kissis that, um, I think is great. He's got, you know, his own website and, um, he's got a lot of great information for financial advisors and, and all that. And then, um, you know, I watch, <laughs> I hate to admit this, but I watch, you know, like CNBC, like all day, all the time when I'm working, you know, mm -hmm. just in case, you know, just to stay current on everything. Yeah. A little Jim Cramer action. <laughs> yeah, a little Jim Cramer action. Uh, Is he know. the yeller? Is he the guy who yeah. yells? Yeah, okay. bald guy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> He's got COVID, I heard. So it's mm. crazy. But um, anyway, uh, yeah, I just, to be honest with you, I, you know, um, I watch a lot of video stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm always trying to stay on top of, you know, as much as I can, it's tough because you, you have to, you have to do your day job. You have to talk to your clients and then you have to learn. So mm -hmm. kind of what yeah. I do. Yeah. Art, right. Have you ever thought of, uh, you know, you're talking about hopefully people can discern what's good information and bad information. Have you ever thought of, you know, writing your own blogs or articles, own videos, anything like that to kind of be a, a better medium, especially with the younger professionals who, you know, believe every headline or newsline, whatever, and just be like, Hey, th this is really what it is. You know, yeah. you're starting with your lack of concern with, you know, you don't think the dollar is going to crash anytime soon, but you know, yeah. putting some good info not. out there. Yeah. Right. It does. We got, we got a lot of worse, a lot, a lot more worse problems. Than I'll make does. sure we don't exact quote that one. <laughs> But yeah, ever okay. think you about, about it. yeah, you ever think about doing uh doing your own information like that on uh just kind of content? Um I have thought about it, but you know, there there's just there's so much good content out there. Um and uh the best probably the best time for me to spend, frankly, you know, is uh, one-on-one -on -one solving and talking about, you know, specific um, um, issues with clients that, you know, that's really the most important thing for me because, um, you know, as my business has started to grow and I'm, I, I have a steady flow of referrals. So I, I frankly don't, you know, I have time to grow the business, but I don't necessarily need to uh, do some of these other things, um, you know, the most important thing for me is just to focus on my clients and focus on uh, investing and learning and trying to figure out, you know, how to make money and protect money and pay less tax. And if I do that, um, everything else kind of solves itself. You know what I mean? But mm -hmm. um, I do love uh, helping the young professionals um, I work with. It's great. Um, so um, I definitely, I definitely appreciate it. That's for sure. Awesome. I can't, I'm not sure what the exact figures are, but it's, it's a pretty common idea out there that like with, with marriages, money and like financial problems, like that's a big driver of why marriages end. Do you, uh, 
you ever find like through your work, like when you work with, with couples, like, do you find that like when, when they've been able to get back on the right financial track, like you see, like from your perspective, even like a, a great improvement in like people's relationships. And do you ever feel like you're a marriage counselor through your, through your work? <laughs> that is such an, that is such an on point question, Tim. I mean, it's just, um, it is just, uh, it's so true. Um, you know, the, Fortunately, I, I only have a couple of friends who got divorced and um, the, the, um, the couple, couple of friends that I can think of, frankly, it was, it was probably financially oriented. They were, it was a total financial mismatch and, um, you know, they loved each other initially and it was great and they grew, grew together. And then once they started, you know, working and, and having money and spending money, um, um, their differences really came out and it was, um, and, and there, and in those cases, they were, uh, irreconcilable. Um, and I think, I think you're right. I think that happens a lot. I don't know what the statistic is, but I bet you it's very, very high. Mm-hmm. Um, because, um, you know, if someone's trying to be financially responsible and someone else is spending money, it's, it's very, very, very stressful and, and, and tense. Um, mm-hmm. and people can really get, um, set in their ways, Um, and I have, uh, I have some other clients that, um, you know, are, are in a good position and they share, they share the same views, um, and they haven't been divorced now. I don't know if that's that's the (laughs) only reason, but, and, uh, uh, one of, one of my young clients came to me, uh, the other day and he, he was in a serious, well, a couple of weeks ago, he was in a serious relationship with his girlfriend. And, um, you know, he, he wanted to have a conversation with her about um, her financial habits and saving and investing and, you know, kind of her long-term goals and, and all that, which I thought was awesome. I mean, it was just great, you know. Um, I think he had seen relationships that were ruined because of it. Um, and it, you know, unfortunately, it didn't, it didn't, um, it didn't go well, unfortunately. But if it's not going to go well, it's better not to go well before you get married, you know, than it is uh, after you get married. Right. So um, I think um, I think being, um, you know, financially in tune when you're married, I think it's really, really, really important. Um, Mm -hmm. It it is really, really important. And I I really wish more more people talked about it. And I think. and I, and I tell you, not only is it important for young people, it's really important for old people too, or older people, I should say. Like if, um, you know, people are retiring and they've made their nest egg and all that, um, they need to be really careful when they get married. Um, so um, it's, um, you know, a lot of people look at it as insensitive and unemotional and things like that, which um, may be true, but uh, I think when people are talking about it, they're actually doing it with a view towards, you know, saving their marriage, which is a, you know, an emotional thing. Right. So um, great question. I think it's really important. People, people really need to talk and make sure. And if they're different, it doesn't mean they, they don't have to get married. It just means they go into it. Maybe, maybe they keep their money separate. Um, you know, maybe that's the answer. You know, maybe if they're more inclined to be similar in, in philosophy and all that, maybe they combine it. And if they're not, you know, maybe they keep it separate. Um, doesn't mean you don't have to get married. It just means you go into it eyes wide open and 
and uh, uh, do something that'll make your marriage last. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Smart. How do you, so you had one person who came to you and, and had a good question. Hey, I want to have this conversation with, with the girl he wanted to be in a relationship with. How can people, when they're seeking out a financial advisor, first make sure they pick the right one, but then also make sure that they help the financial advisor help them to the best of their ability. Like what, where do you see people really go wrong where it makes the job of the advisor harder to help that person? Yeah, I think that's that's a that's a great question too. Great, great two questions actually. So, you know, in terms of looking for an advisor, um, like I, we were talking about earlier, you know, I definitely think people reach out to people that they trust and they trust their opinion and and they trust them to ask. You know, who would you recommend for an advisor? Because you know, it's a very sensitive thing. Um, you know, financial stuff can be. Um, very, very sensitive for whatever the reason, um, whether or not you're looking for help because things are bad, or if you're looking for help because you're doing well and you just, you want, you want to, you know, properly manage. Um, and, you know, I think um, people should interview a few and they should understand, um, try to understand what their qualifications are, um, you know, understand the difference between the, the qualifications. Like, you know, I think one of my clear competitive advantages, not to make another, you know, shameless plug for my business, but, um, way, man, this is all about you. <laughs> you know, the, the fact that, yeah. um, you know, the fact that I'm a CPA and a CFP and, you know, I, I, um, you know, I, I see, I see 360 <clears throat> degree full circle, you know, I make, I make financial recommendations and investment recommendations and all that. And it all comes back to the tax return. Uh, every year and I see it have to live with it Um, and I get a report card on it you know quarterly and then once a year on the tax return so um, but just just really think about what it is that you need and think about the two different types of services because you know if you're talking to an insurance broker it's really important to understand that that's what they are they're a broker they're trying to sell you something and if they're trying to sell you something they make their money off a commission. That's how they put food on the table. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. People need to do it. It's good. Um, but you need to understand that. Like I have, um, I have conversations with my clients, obviously about a lot of things, but when I talk to them about, um, insurance, it's what I objectively think they need, not, not, you know, what am I trying to sell them? And I'm not biased, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not stuck in the, um, insurance industry and and that that's my whole thing um so understand understand like insurance is important um you know brokers serve a really good role um but people just need to need to understand the difference between you know someone like me a registered investment advisor a fiduciary working for the client versus you know a broker um, trying to sell stocks or trying to insurance, trying to sell insurance, or trying to sell annuities. Understand both sides. Understand, you know, fiduciary versus commission. Um, it's really important. Um, and then, it, you know, as to your second question, um, you know, the most important thing is, is that for people to realize is, you know, financial advisors working with many clients, we have seen a lot of different stuff. So, you um, and we are here to help. I want to help people. 
whether, like I said, whether someone's in a bad situation and, and they need help out of it, or they're in a great situation and they just want to keep making money while, while I take care of the investments and taxes, either way is fine. But um, just open up and tell them, tell them what's on your mind, tell them what your goals are, tell them what you're scared of, tell them, tell them what you'd like to do. Um, if you have debt, tell them all the debt, you know, don't hide anything because, um, um, you know, financial advisors try to make recommendations based on what they see and the analysis that they do. And if you withhold information, um, there could be something there that will alter the, their opinions or the advice. So, um, do your homework on who you talk to. And, um, once you select someone, make sure you trust them so that you can really open up and share, share with them and, and let them help you with their, their knowledge and their experience. So. Yep. Fantastic. Fantastic. So you're a golfer. Um, and I'm a All golfer right, we're too. Start talking about golf. Yeah. <laughs> um, All right. You and I can honestly have a whole podcast on ourselves for hours about golf. Know, but, um, when, when did about you start? Tiger and Charlie and John? Oh, and John. yeah. Really cool to see. Yeah. I just think it's amazing how he broke his leg and six months later he's he's ripping drives trying to catch Justin Thomas in a tournament. So yeah, <laughs> uh, great. yeah, yeah, it was really cool to see. But yeah, when did you start? When it, when did you pick up golf? And um, I know you said you've you've gotten a lot of clients from networking out there. Like, what's golf's impact on your life? And I guess any lessons that you've learned from it? Because I'm, sure, I'm sure there's a lot to learn. Yeah. So uh, um, so when I was growing up, my dad used to uh, take me out to the golf course. He would play with his buddies and kind of drop me off and I would tool around. And this is when I was like nine or 10 years old. So I would just like hit balls, play a few holes, try to stay out of trouble, putt, you know, maybe go to the pool and all that. We had a, um, we didn't have much money growing up. So we were a member of a club that was kind of far away and um, was inexpensive, <laughs> but you, you could still play golf. Um, so that was my intro to it. My dad loved it. Um, he just, I don't know. He just thought he viewed it as, as a, uh, gentleman's game. And when, when I say gentleman, I'm not speaking of, you know, the actual gender because there's, um, you know, a lot of fabulous women there always have been. So I don't mean, I don't mean it that way. I mean it in the sense of, uh, etiquette and, um, you know, sure you know, playing with people and enjoying other people and all that, you know, he just, he, he really loved that aspect of it. Plus he, he, he liked to do well. He loved the game. Um, it's a tough game, very difficult, a lot of different things. Um, you know, you got to drive and putt and hit sand shots and hit, hit shots around trees and over trees. So it's, um, there's a lot to it. And, um, so I grew up playing, um, I got pretty well and did pretty well in junior golf. And I played a lot with my mom and my dad and their friends and, and their adults. And, um, um, you know, for me, I'm glad I did because uh, uh, I always enjoyed talking to adults. I really, I was never afraid of adults. I'm not saying, you know, kids are afraid of adults, but sometimes they, they may not warm up or, you know what I mean? Just not quite be as out there, but, um, you know, I was always happy to, talk to adults and it was, wasn't an, you know, wasn't an issue. I don't think. And, um, got to meet a lot of interesting people, got to hear what people did, you know, for a living. Um, mm -hmm. 
and, um, you know, played competitively, did pretty well. I got a, you know, golf scholarship to college and pretty much, uh, you know, between the golf, golf scholarship and loans paid my way through college. And, um, you know, I tried to stay in golf during work and, um, um, it's just a great game. It's a great way to spend time with people in a fun environment, get to know people. Um, people say you really, you really learn a lot about people on the golf course and it's true. <laughs> very true. Um, they show their true every, colors every, when things yeah, aren't going every, well. <laughs> every, every golfer has lots of good stories, um, one way or the other, but, um, um, you know, it's, uh, it's great. Um, mm. you know, I've met, met a lot of good people, met, met some not great people, but, um, really, really, really cool stuff. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, just the networking aspect and this, this is true of anywhere you go. Like if you go anywhere in public where there's people, I mean, I've just found that whenever I've gone to a golf course, whether I'm paired up with someone randomly or just out there at the driving range, you're most likely going to meet someone that is extremely successful and, or, or know somebody. And, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd advise everybody like in some way, like get out and do something that's, that's active and something that, that releases endorphins and gets you in a good mood. Cause you're going to meet someone somewhere. And yeah, I think there's just a lot of, a lot of crossover there. So and it's, no and, yeah, especially with golf too. Like it's not, yep. I mean, unless, I mean, assuming you stretch well, but I don't think it's, it's, it's too tough on the body. It's a sport you can play for a majority of your life. So, yeah. Yeah, I tell you, it's it's tough when you're getting older, man. <laughs> Especially on the back. <laughs> but so good stuff. Anything else for uh, Art? I want to make sure we get through. Uh, I'm trying to think. Things. Got through everything. Um, yeah. Art, I want to make sure we hit everything that you want to touch on as well. So if we haven't covered something with the business, uh, I want to make sure we, you know, like we said, this is this is about you. So plug away and. Want to make sure we cover all our things. Yeah, I'm. I'm I think um, my question. I think it's been great. I think you guys have done great. You've asked. I mean, a lot of great questions, insightful questions. Um, love it. It's good stuff. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, we always end on our. Uh, we have like our question. We always end every interview on. Um, so we we just always like to to know where people stand and, and how they want to be remembered when when time is all said and done. You know, how do you want people to remember remember art? Yeah. Wow. That's, um, that's a great question. It's a great question to end on. Um, you know, I, I would just say, um, you know, uh, just in terms of, uh, I would just say the, the mid to back end of my career, I would just say that people would, you know, think of me as someone who's really tried to, uh, um, help folks at work, um, advance at work. I, you know, I try to, hire good people and let them do well, work hard, get promoted. I've always tried to, you know, teach and um, help people advance and get promoted and be in a better situation um, and um, give them the tools to succeed. And even now, you know, my, my business um, working with clients, I, you know, my whole goal every day is I just try to figure out how can I, how can I make someone's situation a little better? What, what can I do today to um, improve their, you know, their financial lives? I, you know, um, because that permeates through so many different things, their, their health, their mental health, um, activities, um, social life, everything else. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I would say um, I really would love it if people thought of me as someone um, who was, who was trying to make things, um, a little better in some way, you know, that's, that's kind of what it's all about. Right. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've definitely done that today on our podcast. Yeah. I'm sure people who listen to this, they're, they're going to learn a thing or two from you. So again, we appreciate your time. 100%. Great. Thank you guys so much. It was great. Appreciate it. All right. Yeah. Thanks, Art. Nice talking to you. All right, man. Thank you. All right. We'll see you.